welcome to Beaver Lodge Alliance's sermon podcast. We're so glad to join you. This is the latest sermon. We pray that you would receive encouragement, exhortation, and that Jesus would speak to you through this sermon. Enjoy. Hmm. Well, today's a good day, hey? What a good day. I'm feeling quite emotional <laughs> with all that. <clears throat> so good. So we'll just die right in. Uh, we have this um, a piece of artwork that my wife has made that hangs on our wall at home. It's been up there, I'm sure, for 13, 14 years, something like that. Uh, and it's called the Clark Family Rules. It's just a fantastic fantastic thing. It's got probably about a dozen different Clark family rules on it. I've just put a couple of them up for you. Uh, Such gems as tummies off the table. Uh, And that one's kind of self-explanatory. It's one that we still use today. (laughs) We often, when the kids were younger, we used it quite a bit, but we, every once in a while, we'll tell people tummies off the table. Another Clark family rule is no fits, obey, good attitude. We don't say this much anymore, but when our kids were, we were leaving our kids with babysitters, we would remind them, we'd, we'd kind of gently rap on their head and we'd say, nog, like noggin, nog, no fits, obey, good attitude, to remind them how they were to behave for the babysitters. Another Clark family r- rule that seems to be geared more towards Farrell and I is husband do the dishes, wife hug your husband, which speaks to our love languages. My love language is touch. So it's important for Farrell to remember to hug me. Farrell's love language is acts of service, so it's important for me to remember to do the dishes. And just a side note here, if you're married and you don't know what your spouse's love language is, you should find out. Because likely it's not the same as yours, and not knowing your spouse's love language can lead to all kinds of problems. But when you know their love language, you can speak to them in an amazing way. And finally, one of my favorite Clark family rules is this. Jesus first, others next, yourself last, which spells out joy. Joy. What a simple way to remember the way to joy. Jesus first, others next, yourself last. As we move into the book of Philippians today, this letter to the church in Philippi is primarily known for its message of joy. Joy in Jesus, regardless of the circumstances. But something that's not always preached on is that joy is often found by putting ourselves last. By putting ourselves last. Now we're in the middle of a series where we're looking at the 21 epistles of the New Testament. They're letters written from various people to the churches and, and to others uh, that we makes up more than half of our New Testament. And right now, we're in a sub-series focusing on the four prison epistles, which the Apostle Paul wrote while he was in prison. Today, we're looking at the book of Philippians. Now, there's so much good in Philippians. We could spend years preaching through Philippians. I encourage you to read it to yourself uh, maybe later this week. Hopefully, you've been reading along with us and you've already read through the book of Philippians a couple of times this last week in preparation for today. As I read uh, Philippians, I asked the Holy Spirit, what would you want me to to preach on? Because there's so much in here. What do I need to focus in on today? And this is the verse that seems to have stood out. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, here's what Paul says. 
He says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, the church in Philippi was doing really good. In fact, Paul had this to say about the church. He said in Philippians chapter 1, verse 3, I thank my God every time I remember you. Paul gushes over this church more than any of the other churches that he writes to. The Philippians seem to have been a, a huge source of encouragement for Paul. And so the church is doing well, but there seems to be something that was happening both externally and internally to the church in Philippi that Paul needed to address. And so one of the primary reasons for him writing this letter is for these external and internal reasons. There was external pressure coming from a Jewish group called the Judaizers. Uh, this was a group that, that was intent on making people follow the Old Testament customs and rules and law when they came to Christ. So they actually were saying that it was not good enough just to follow Jesus. You also had to follow the Old Testament law, including getting circumcised. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 2, Paul calls this group dogs, those men who do evil, mutilators of the flesh. Strong words from Paul, of course, but necessary strong words since the Judaizers were attempting to lead the people of Philippi and many other places astray. Paul's ongoing message is a message of grace and not works. Grace and not works. Paul continually told through all the letters that he wrote to the churches that there was no amount of self-punishment that could ever save you. You could not be good enough. You could not follow enough rules. You could not hurt yourself enough to be able to pay for the penalty of your sins. Only the sacrifice of Jesus could possibly save and Jesus' sacrifice was not just partially sufficient. Jesus' sacrifice was fully sufficient for salvation. So the Philippian church is experiencing this external pressure from the Judaizers, and that's one half of the reason why Paul is writing this book today. The other part, on top of what they're experiencing externally, the church in Philippi was experiencing an internal pressure, which was likely even more worrisome for Paul, something that was a bigger problem than the Judaizers. This internal pressure was a problem with infighting and strife among the saints, among the people of Philippi, among the people in the church Paul was writing to, there was infighting and strife. Now, I wonder if we can at all sympathize with the church in Philippi. Is our church, not just Beaver Lodge Alliance Church, but our church globally, are we experiencing external pressure today? Maybe not from Judaizers, but there are certainly external pressures exerting their, themselves upon the church today. So yes, I would say that we, like Philippi, are experiencing external pressures the second question is, is the church experiencing internal pressures today? More specifically, do you see any infighting and strife amongst the saints? Is there any problem going on within the church? Now, I'm not asking for a show of hands today. You don't need to raise your hand and tell me, point out somebody else who you know is having a trouble with infighting or strife. But likely there's some infighting and strife going on here. 
At the very least, if we broaden out our circle a little bit and include the peace country, we would see that in the peace country, the church is experiencing some infighting and strife. If we were to broaden out to all the saints in Alberta, would we say that in Alberta, the church is experiencing some infighting and strife? Certainly, if we expanded out our, our circle a little more to the church in North America, we would see that there is much infighting and strife. Sadly, the church today is not unified. The church today is experiencing disunity because of the infighting and the strife amongst the saints. Folks, today the church is in a bit of a pickle. We face external pressure, which is heavy. COVID-19 and many other things are putting incredible pressure from the outside on the church. And we face internal pressure. The church today is not the unified bride of Christ that we are meant to be. There is some infighting and strife. So, oh my goodness, Philippians is a book that we need today. Paul takes us through some simple illustrations from his own life and from the life of Jesus, which will help us today in sorting out how we are able to be able to overcome both the external and the internal pressures. So let's take a look at the book of Philippians today. In the first chapter of Philippians, we see that Paul is imprisoned. He's in chains. He's under house arrest, possibly in Rome at this point. And the people of Philippi, and likely others, are distraught by Paul's predicament. But Paul helps them to see things differently. Look here at what Paul says, starting in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. Paul says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that, it, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. What an amazing statement. Instead of being a discouragement, Paul sees his imprisonment as an opportunity for Christ to be preached. In fact, Paul goes on in the verses that follow this, this little section, Paul goes on to say that while some have been emboldened to preach, which is exciting, they've been emboldened to preach Christ because of Paul's change, there are still others who have preached Christ in order to stir up trouble for Paul. They're trying to become a nuisance. So I don't know how this works, if outside of where Paul is imprisoned, if there's people that have come along that hate Paul, that are preaching Christ kind of on the street corners, hoping to become a nuisance so much so that Paul gets punished. I'm not sure exactly how that happens. But Paul looks at all of this. He looks at whether or not the, the, the followers of Christ have become emboldened or his uh, opponents have come to be a nuisance. In both those things, here's what Paul has to say. In verse 18, he says, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. What an amazing perspective he has. Isn't that amazing? It doesn't matter whether the people that are out there preaching are against me or for me. Christ is being preached. What an amazing perspective. 
In fact, Paul's not even concerned with whether he lives or dies. Paul only cares that the gospel of Jesus is shared. Here's what Paul says in verse 21. He says, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, you've got to hate being the jailer in charge of Paul, hey? If you're trying to punish this man, if you're trying to to do something that is going to hurt him, what could you possibly do? If you kill Paul, he is immediately in the presence of Jesus, and, and Paul says that would be fantastic. If you let Paul live, then he gets to keep on preaching the good news, and Paul says that's fantastic. If you keep him incarcerated, the people who follow Paul will be emboldened to preach the gospel even more. In fact, even Paul's opponents will be the ones preaching the gospel. What could you possibly do to Paul to hurt this man? There's nothing. Living or dying makes no difference to Paul because Paul has put Jesus first. Paul uses this illustration to drive home the point to the Philippians. Chapter 1, verse 27, whatever happens, and you can put whatever you want in that. Is it death? Is it life? Is it persecution? Is it imprisonment? Is it external or internal pressures? Whatever, whatever, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Paul uses his own life in chains as his first illustration for how we can overcome the pressures around us. doesn't matter what the world puts upon you. doesn't matter what pressures come upon you. Those external pressures, those things that, that maybe the enemy will try to bring to destroy you, whatever it is, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Put Jesus first. Put Jesus first. See, if we do that, then life or death, it doesn't really matter. Masks or no mask, it doesn't really matter. Restrictions or no restrictions, it really doesn't matter. If the church building were shut up today and burnt to the ground and nothing was able to be built on this this land again, it wouldn't matter. Jesus can use all of these things to advance his gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is primary. The point of all of this, all of our life, everything, everything, the point of all of this is that the gospel of Jesus is preached, whatever happens. So that's how you overcome those external pressures. When everything seems to be pushing against you, when everything seems to be pushing against you, put Jesus first. Now, what about those internal pressures? Because that's all fine and dandy for the stuff that's out here. You know what? When I'm with my family at home, if everything within the house is happy, it doesn't matter what's happening outside the house. I can deal with all kinds of pressures outside the house. I just close my doors up, pull the drapes down, and I'm good to go. But what about those internal pressures? What about the stuff that's happening inside the house of God? Well, here comes illustration number two. Paul starts by saying, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, there's this beautiful poetic beginning to chapter 2, and I encourage you to read it later. We're not going to read it right now. But basically, Paul says, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. 
Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Last week during uh, our after-sermon question time, which we're going to have again an after-sermon question time today, if you, uh, if you need the, the cell phone number, you can text us questions during the sermon today. But last week, someone asked the question, what is humility? They said, what is humility? Thank you for that question. That was a fantastic question. It built in perfectly to this week. What is Paul talking about here? In humility, consider others better than yourselves, Paul says. In humility, consider others better than yourselves. What is Paul talking about? Well, Paul tells us exactly what humility is by giving us our second illustration. So here in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, here's what Paul says. This is what humility is. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Okay, let's look at Jesus. Who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. See, this is what happened. God, Jesus God, stepped down out of heaven. I mean, not just kind of like took a slight pay decrease. Jesus stepped down, 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 way down out of heaven. The creator of the the heavens and the earth, the the one who stands outside of time, came into time. The all-sufficient one, the one who is perfectly capable of being fulfilled in himself, became obedient to being fed like a little baby, to being cared for, to having his diapers changed. The king of kings and the lord of lords made himself nothing. He made himself nothing. Paul goes on to say, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This Jesus, this God in a bod, who has no beginning and no end, became obedient to the biggest end, to death, torturous and shameful death. Why? Why would he do such a thing? Why would he do that? He did that for you and for me. For salvation to come to mankind. See, humility is putting others before yourself. The ultimate humility, the ultimate picture that we have of humility is Jesus, who created us all, putting his creation, us, before himself. That is humility. Paul then says, because this is an illustration, remember, this is an illustration for us of how we're supposed to be. This is a beautiful picture of Jesus, but Paul is saying, you need to be like Jesus. So he says this, because of this great example you've been given in Jesus, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's interesting that the outworking of our salvation is exactly what Paul is talking about in Jesus here, this humility that he he sees. That's what's supposed to come out of us. Now, I want you to to understand something here. This, This verse is a highly contentious verse, and it shouldn't be. 
Paul is not saying here that your salvation is conditional to your works. He's not saying at all that. This verse is not saying that you have to earn your salvation or work for it. Work out your salvation is not saying that you are supposed to try to earn salvation. Some people have used this verse to say that, and it's just a gross misunderstanding of what Paul is saying. The scripture is clear. Paul is overly clear. Salvation is by the grace of Jesus Christ alone. You don't deserve it, and you can't possibly earn it. What Paul is saying, though, what he is saying, is that we are to work out of us what God has worked into us. We are to work out of us what God has already worked into us. See, our identity, we talked about this last week, our identity shapes our behavior. We have salvation in us. That's what Jesus Christ has given us. It's this amazing gift that he's given us, this free gift. We are saved. We are now to live out of that salvation. Our life is supposed to look like on the outside what it already is on the inside. Our identity shapes our behavior. Also, here's a neat thing for you to know, especially for us in in North America, in the Western church, Paul is not talking to an individual here. We read this verse often, and we put it individually, that, that Paul is talking to you. You, you continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But Paul is not talking to individuals. Most of Scripture is actually written to communities, not individuals. The Western church has made everything incredibly individualistic, and it's not. Paul here in Philippians is not speaking to an individual when he says to continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Paul is talking to the church. And so now if we understand these two things, that Paul is not talking about earning our salvation, Paul is not talking to an individual, we kind of understand what Paul is saying here. He says, you the church, you all who are saved, all of y'all put others first, put each other first. This is the working out of what God has worked in, the outworking of your salvation. You do this so that others may know the salvation that Jesus has put into you. So that hopefully when Jesus is preached, when Jesus is preached, they may be saved too. See, the way that we can overcome the external pressures is to put Jesus first like Paul in his first illustration. In every situation, rejoice that there is a way the gospel is being proclaimed. And with the second illustration, the way that we overcome the internal pressures, the, the strife and the infighting of the saints, is that we must go low in humility and as a community put others first, like Jesus did. See, this is the outworking of our salvation. This is done so that the world can see the salvation of Jesus. Now, following these two illustrations, Paul goes into chapter 3 and he gives us a warning. And it's an important warning for us to heed today. Paul gives another example from his life, which you can read later. We're not going to read it today. But then at the end of this example, this is what he says. He says, let us live up to what we have already attained. It's the same thing he's been saying already. Let us live up to what we have already attained. Let our let, our, let this be the outworking of our salvation. It just emphasizes that our identity 
shapes our behaviors. What is true inside of you, do it. Now here's the warning. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19, here's what Paul says. He says, Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. This is how some live. Selfish, egotistical, living focused on themselves. But we are not meant to live like that. Here's what Paul continues to say. This is what's true of you. But our citizenship is in heaven. You see, we are citizens of heaven, setting our eyes on things above. Our God is not our stomach. What an interesting way to put it. That the ones who are enemies of the cross of Christ, their God is their stomach. Our glory is not in our shame. We are citizens of heaven, and our identity shapes our behaviors. So now we come to the final word on all of this from Paul. Paul tries to bring it all together for us here. He's shown us how to put Jesus first from his own example. He's shown us how to humble ourselves and put others first by the example of Jesus. And now he puts it all together in what, uh, in what this has developed in him here at the end of Philippians. Paul says this. This is what, this is what all of this kind of living has developed in Paul. Philippians chapter 4, verses 12 to 13. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to, be, to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now, sometimes we've made this verse out to be a verse that tells us that we can win the championship football game or we can pass our exams or we can get the big promotion at work. But that's not what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying that regardless of the pressures against us, whether those pressures are outside or inside, whether we are well-fed or hungry, in whatever situation comes at us, if we put Jesus first and we put others next, then we're going to find contentment for ourselves. We can do all of these things, all these things that he's talked about in the whole book of Philippians, we can do all these things through Jesus who gives us strength. See, putting yourself last actually doesn't mean neglecting yourself, and that's another error that we've made. We, we've said, well, put yourself last, and then we've actually forgotten about ourselves, and it's a terrible error. It doesn't mean neglecting yourself, but it does mean finding contentment, whatever your personal situation is being at peace whether you're well-fed or hungry. So to overcome, simply put, we need to put Jesus first. We need to put others next. And we need to put yourself last. Joy in every situation. So what about you? What about you? I don't want to overly prescribe what this passage means to you because I'm sure Jesus is speaking to you on his own. But I do want you to actively do something about it. Do not just be hearers of the word and do nothing about it. Do what God is calling you to do. Our world has become such a self-absorbed, 
egotistical, me-first world. And the church sadly has followed suit. And this is killing the gospel. It's killing the gospel. And honestly, when I look at myself, because I don't want to point any fingers here, when I look at myself, I like looking after myself. I love feeling comfortable. I love being well-fed. Many times, my God has been my stomach. Seriously. I want my privileges. I want my rights. I want what makes my life easier for me. I want to go to a church that looks after me, that sings the songs I like, and preaches the sermons I like. I want to go to a church that runs the programs for my family and fulfills my every need. That's what I want. I love me. I love me. And I want the stuff that makes me feel good. And therein lies the problem. All the stuff that I want so often goes against what Jesus wants for me. It so often goes against what Jesus wants for me. And it so often goes against what Jesus wants for my community. And so it's time to flip the script and put Jesus first, not myself, to put others next, and then to put myself last. So what about you? Maybe it's easier for us to judge our brother or sister, condemn the government, or to do what makes us feel good. There's so much in our current reality that is taking us away from what Jesus has for us. It's stealing away the stuff that Jesus wants to do. So the question simply for you to ask is, what is Jesus saying to me? Now this week, we're going into a week of prayer and fasting. What a fantastic week to let Jesus take us away from what is comfortable and take us to putting Jesus first, others next, and yourself last. So I encourage you this week as you ask that question of Jesus, what do you have for me to lean into this? And call the worship team to come on up. Would you stand with me as we sing this, close to, to, uh, sing this song to close off? Uh, we are going to have our question and answer time. So if you've got your f- cell phone with you and you've come up with a question today from the sermon, text a question in. We'll get those questions up. And actually, Pastor Amy and I both are going to be attempting to answer those questions. So that'll be lots of fun. I figured I needed to bring in the big guns this time. It's good. Um, Make sure you've got a microphone there, Pastor Amy. So, all right. So why don't we join together in singing this song, and then we'll get to some questions. Thank you, worship team. Man, I'll take that question. All right, go for it. (laughs) Go Go with the easy one. Um, So why did Jesus pick Paul to be an apostle? That's a great question. Why him? And I think when we look in Acts at at Paul's character, right, we see before he had the encounter with um, Jesus on the road to Damascus, he was fired up. He was a go get him. I mean, persecute all the Christians, but once he had a mission, nothing was going to stop him. And so, man, once Jesus came and encountered Paul and and changed radically his life, the same passion and focus and determination that was originally for persecuting Christians now was proclaiming Jesus. It was just channeled in a different way. And I think plus the thing that he was highly educated was also something that made his, 
ability to go into different places, go to um, Roman cities and debate with intellectuals possible. So that's, that's why I think Jesus picked Paul. And Philippians actually has an answer to this. So Paul gives his credentials in Philippians mm-hmm. chapter 3. Um, and the, the thing I think that's important, so all that Amy said is 100% true. God was able to use these talents and these gifts that were God-given talents and gifts in Paul. Uh, but Paul even says, all my good stuff I counted as rubbish. Right? I counted as rubbish. And the, the thing that Amy and I have actually had quite a few conversations about this, we find it very interesting the people Jesus picks to do his mission. So in the, in the 12, apostles, 12 apostles, the disciples, um, there's a guy who is anti-government, um, the zealot who wanted to destroy the Roman government, and there's also the guy who's a tax collector who had betrayed his own kind. How could God use those kinds of people? Right? And Paul, like Amy was saying, he was very zealous for his mission. He'd actually gone and killed a bunch of Christians. That's what his, one of his jobs was before he became a Christian, was to kill. How could God use a person like Paul? Even with all the gifts and talents and abilities we can see in those people, the amazing part of each one of them is that God has called them. And God has called every single one of you. So each and every one of you, wherever you're at, with whatever storied background you have, God wants to use you. So why did Jesus pick Paul? For the same reason that he picks you. Because you belong to him, and he is amazing in you. Yeah, good. Good job. What's the next question? One second. How many questions do we have today? Five. Five. Okay. All right. We got to tighten up our answers. Tighten up the answers. What does true (laughs) joy look like? Was Paul annoyingly positive and smiling all the time when he was in prison, spouting catchphrases and memes? Memes. Because that doesn't sound like someone I'd find compelling. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. Right? Right? I mean, look at, look at the story of Paul, right? If you, if you look through the book of Acts, Paul is in the second half of the book of Acts, and he goes through some terrible stuff. You and I would have called it quits after probably the first or second or third time, right? But Paul is shipwrecked, he's flogged, um, he's taken outside of a city, and they, they stone him to death. He gets back up, miraculously gets back up and walks away. Um, all kind, he's, he's, he's abandoned on, an, on a, a desert island, like all kinds of crazy stuff. He's imprisoned at least three different times in his life. Um, just, just unbelievable the amount of hardships that have come against Paul. So when we talk about joy, we're not talking about giddy happiness. We're not talking about a guy who just kind of went around with rainbows and butterflies, right? We're talking about a seasoned warrior who has gone through the trenches that still finds contentment and inner joy in Jesus Christ. Was he smiling all the time? If he was on Facebook today or Twitter, would he be posting memes and those type of things? I don't know. I have no idea. I have no idea. But I think Paul was a guy that you'd be able to sit down with. You'd know he had been through the hardest stuff in the world. And that he came out the other side, seeing Jesus in all things. That's what joy is, I think. Being able to see Jesus in all things. Do you have anything to add to that? You uh, answered that well. So I have nothing to add. You got that one, Amy? I sure. Does putting others ahead of myself mean that others are more 
valuable than me? No. Okay, next question. No. <laughs> it's easy. <laughs> no, um, I think, I think uh, Pastor Greg did briefly kind of share about that, of how, you know, putting others ahead doesn't mean we don't take care of ourselves. The way I see this is humility isn't, you know, because I'm so worthless that I automatically come below. But because we are aware of our identity of Christ, we know we are valued, we know we are loved, we know that we are worth because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. That instead of taking that and using our power and dominance and saying, you owe me something, it's laying down of our right. Even though we know we could, it's the laying down of our right and looking to others and serving others. So it's not from a worth-based thing. It's from a authority and power choosing to lay that aside and serve others because of Jesus. So the short answer is no, and the long answer is that. That's good. Anything that's good. else to add? No, that's fantastic. That's good. How come I get the ones that are really long? <laughs> Jesus first, others next, yourself last. I love this. Anchored in the first commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as thyself. I love that the self-love part was included. It's assuming that the believer will rightfully love themselves as a beautiful creation of the Almighty, but is in need of help with the proper order. Mm. Yeah, so that's basically what you just said. I think that's what you just said. We know our identity in Christ, right? So we know how much we're loved. And how much we, we, we understand that. We know that God loves us. So we can love ourselves. We certainly can, right? But finding the right order. So I think that was answered when you were talking about humility and that proper order and being able to lay down our rights. So yeah, that's awesome. Good comment. That's a great, that's a good thought. Yeah. You got this one? I think it's your turn. Sure. I got the easy one last You time. just like read it out. That's right. all. Okay. So what does joy look like when joy is hard to find? When Jesus is hard to find and others are more of a burden than gift. That's an easy one, right? Oh, no his, problem. Yeah. You got this. I mean, yeah. this is legit. This is life right here. I mean, I think majority of the time, joy is not easy to find. In the midst of busyness and chaos, Jesus can be hard to find, and, and people are more of a burden a lot of the time than a gift. So what do we do? Man, I think all these come down to what is our heart's position. I think gratitude is a huge way of cultivating joy. So man, when joy is hard to find, it's not a matter of, of saying, I'm going to be joyful, Jesus has given me joy, you know, convince ourselves into it. But what it is, is looking, okay, what does it look like to be grateful right now where I'm at? I was uh, at a conference that, it was a secular conference actually, and they were talking about um, how gratitude was so important. And the, the speaker was like, man, sometimes it feels like we actually, there's nothing to be grateful for in our life. Everything is a mess. There's nothing. And she gave this hint that every time I feel like my life is a mess and there's nothing to be grateful for, I go back to this. She said, man, 
One thing, easy thing to be grateful. I am thankful right now that I don't have food poisoning. And she's like, that, unless you have food poisoning, that is something you can be thankful for. That's an easy starting point, because we've all had food poisoning. I'm really thankful that right now I don't have food poisoning. But what it is, is like you start at the small things, and as you grow, your focus goes from, my life is a mess, this is hard, this person is being mean to me, I can't see Jesus. And as we actually focus, take our attention off of that, and focus, where is Jesus showing up? Even in the things that feel really insignificant, our ability to see Jesus expands as we look for the little things, and soon we see him in the larger things, and soon we see him his presence in this person that is driving me insane. Soon we see him in, you know, this mess of a situation. We see his presence. So it looks like finding the small things of gratitude, leaning into that and letting that grow. That's fantastic. Yeah. I just pictured like a snowball yes. coming down a mountain, yeah. right? Just starting really small and building up bigger yeah. and bigger. Yeah. So you can start thankful that you don't have food poisoning and work from there. And if you do have food poisoning, you can pick something different. Yes, exactly. That's so good. Good answer. Great question. Oh, is that it? Oh, wow. Goodness gracious. That's fantastic. Those are some great questions, you guys. Fantastic job. And thank you, Pastor Amy. Great answers. That's wonderful. Um, all right. So would you stand with me, please? Paul doesn't give any big um, benedictions in Philippians. He just... It's just like one little sentence, the very last sentence. Uh, so we're just going to pray a generic kind of benediction. So would you just join me as we just receive what Christ has for us today? So I just bless you, church, to receive a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit, that you would, you would be overflowed knowing that you are loved by your Heavenly Father, and that, you, uh, that you have God through the Holy Spirit living inside of you, that you would be um, aware again of your salvation that's been bought and paid for by Jesus Christ. And as we lean into what Paul uh, and the Holy Spirit is calling us to today, as we lean into what God's written word has for us today, may, may you, church, put Jesus first. Jesus, we want you first. We want you first. Help us with that. It's not easy. Jesus, help us to put you first. And may you put others next. Jesus, that's not easy. Sometimes other people are so burdensome. But goodness gracious, Jesus, you love them. And so Jesus, help us to put others next. And Jesus, we know that, we, uh, that we're important to you. So help us, even as we put ourselves last, even as we do that, we just receive what you have for us. Every gift Every, every, um, everything you have for us as you fill us afresh with your presence and give us all kinds of amazing things, we just receive that. Help us to put ourselves last, Lord, and not get that order confused. Help us to experience true joy in you. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Heavenly Father. We love you, Holy Spirit. I bless you, church, to just know him more. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you for joining us. If you have questions or comments or 
are just wanting to know more about our church, check out our website at www.beaverlodgealliancechurch.com as well as you can find us on Facebook or feel free to email us at office at beaverlodgealliancechurch.com. We pray that today you would know the love and manifest presence of Jesus. <laughs>